the time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Holy shit, Casey. (laughs) 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 This Episode one? Episode one. This is... Guess it's going to be incredible. Um, oh, oh wow! I I can't even wait to get started. <laughs> Sensational! <on that>. Sensational! <laughs> oh god! So we're starting off strong. Uh, we just watched The Running Man yes. from 1987, directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who played Detective Starsky on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> the, the, so there's some wishful beginnings right there. So already we're starting from high expectations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow. So before we really get into this, and my God, once I get started, I'm not going to be able to stop. Yeah. Uh, we're joined on our very first episode by a longtime panelist on Radio vs. the Martians. He's a writer and columnist for Comic Book Resources, Comics Should Be Good blog. Greg Hatcher, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Greg. This is exciting. <laughs> this is really <laughs> I exciting. Can, I, can I, I don't wait. know that I'm that exciting, but, you know, I certainly feel honored now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, before we get started, can you tell us a bit of your personal history with the works of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Are you a fan of this guy? Um, well, when you ask the question that way, I would have to say probably not. No. I don't actually think much of him as a, an actor. Let's say what he does have is a genius for picking his projects. He has a knack of appearing in movies that I really like and then being like the weakest point in them. (laughs) You know, that's that's kind of my weird dichotomy with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I really like The Running Man, for example, that we're talking about today. But Arnold in it is not my idea of who Ben Richards should be. Well, you know? but you ask yourself, though, if they were going to make that movie with that budget, who else would have been able to get asses in seats? I think that was the calculation. Was the calculation, well, this is a bad script off of a book that not too many people know about. It has some interesting things to say, but, you know, we're, ju- we're not just going to put in, oh, God, who would be the who would be the action movie du jour? We're not just going to put in uh, Charles Bronson into this. No, Although he might have been be too grumbly, too mustachy. Yeah, yeah. No, the well. Here's the thing. I mean, this is going kind of far afield from Arnold Schwarzenegger, but for just a second, the the Running Man was written by Stephen King in the '70s. It was right. one of his early books, one of the the books that he published under the Richard Bachman pen name. And if you know anything about the Bachman books, they're really angry. They're really angry books. They're they, angry young man stories. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s, especially in science fiction, that was that was where everybody's head was at. It was all angry young men fight the power. It was – it as a piece of science fiction, it had much more in common with movies like Conquest of the Planet of the Apes or Soylent Green or something like that. Sure. And Ben Richards, its protagonist, was really – my idea of Ben Richards would have been someone like a really young, angry Jack Nicholson or Peter Fonda, or it would have been one of those counterculture guys. And the movie, The Running Man, which I suppose I should backpedal a little bit and give the listeners the premise of this thing if they yeah. don't know it. Yeah. Um, this is the, the apex of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. This is the height of Schwarzenegger <laughs> mania. Yeah. So yeah. if you had to give us that... Uh, I guess TV guide paragraph to let people know what this movie's about. Well, the the Running Man is uh, a story of a government-sponsored game show where the prize is you get to live a life of luxury, but if you fail, you die. And because it's an evil government thing, the game is rigged. So you know they use it basically as a tool to get rid of unwanted dissidents and people who are inconvenient to the government in some way, and they telecast it in this sort of managed news propaganda way to make the populace hate whoever this week's contestant is on The Running Man. And it's Schwar- like the two minutes of hate from 1984. Right? Yeah. yeah. And the, however many minutes. The, the 
Schwarzenegger's role is to be the guy that beats the the rigged game and wins the day for the people. And that's that's kind of the through line of the movie. The weird thing is the book itself, the angry book, is very nihilist. And Ben Richards squeaks out only a moral win by ramming a plane into game show headquarters and taking out the entire corrupt management with him. But it's kind of a Pyrrhic victory. He doesn't change society. Right. Nothing actually happens except he gets to kill the guys that fucked with him. And that in a Richard Bachman book, that's a happy ending. That's that's well, you know, and to get there, he has to learn that his daughter and his wife died, too. You know, yeah. he had to lose everything so he could then crash into a building. Yeah, it was very uplifting. It was <laughs> in contrast to a movie from 1987 directed by Starsky, uh, <laughs> yeah, the- and written by incidentally Stephen E. D'Souza, the guy who is well who was well known by that point for writing Forty Eight Hours with uh, Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. He also wrote Commando two Die years hard. before, Die Die hard. and then afterwards in eighty eight he wrote Die Hard one and two, uh, only to go on a few years later and die an ignominious death directing his first directorial debut, Street Fighter. Oh <laughs> man, <laughs> we're so sorry. Well, he did also write the. Um, the Judge Dredd movie with Stallone. So you got, he's got that going for him. So. Well, here's the thing with D'Souza. D'Souza had the knack. He was he was like some sort of human fuck yeah, fist pumping, crowd pleasing moment generator. Right. He took a movie. Uh, he took a book like Nobody Lives Forever by Roderick Thorpe, which is a bleak, sort of sad, self reflective story about a, an aging cop having one last battle in a skyscraper full of terrorists and he took that and turned it into Die Hard which is like the greatest fuck yeah action movie Probably ever made. Probably the greatest Christmas movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and he did the same thing with The Running Man. He uh, he he took this bleak nihilist hateful book and turned it into <laughs> basically a weird mashup of, you know, television satire and professional wrestling. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's a probably appropriate professional wrestling since Jesse Ventura plays Captain Freedom in this movie. Well, and also Professor Toru, Ta- was it uh, Toru Ta- Tanaka? Yeah. Toru Tanaka, is that what his name is? Uh-huh. Wait a minute. The thing that I really kind of like about this too, Greg, and why I think it's really appropriate to have you on this episode is that uh, if this movie had been made in the 1970s, it would have been a very different movie. It would have been a hugely different movie. And I, I look at it also at what the difference between what we expect from a sci-fi action movie of the 1980s versus a sci-fi action movie of the 1970s. If this had been the 70s, this would have been like late era Heston, Soylent Green territory. Oh, absolutely. This would have been, I could have seen like James Caan being in the lead role in this movie, you know, because he had just done Rollerball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This would have been right up his alley. And it- this is what you called message science fiction uh-huh. that we're making a point about fascism and the sort of bread and circuses idea you notice it several times in the movie when people are super excited about these colorful gimmicky gladiators murdering criminals on tv and they're getting excited in the studio people outright say well at least they're not in food riots <laughs> they're not getting <laughs> no. angry at something else they're right. getting yeah. angry at this thing we manufacture and this would have straight out been one of those kind of Soylent Green, Silent Running, Rollerball type movies. But now we're in the 1980s. Right. And the 1980s mm-hmm. doesn't want any of that shit. No. And what I really love <laughs> they is... Need, they need to draft Arnold Schwarzenegger to plow through it from beginning to end and have nary an obstacle in his way. Yeah. That's the only way you can sell this premise. In right? the 1980s, yes. of course. And yes. what I love is that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a hero of a 1970s style sci-fi movie who refuses to be a part of the B-plot. Yeah. (laughs) Every so often, a character will straight out talk about uh, the hidden resistance. There's a couple of these guys that get pulled into the game with him who are part of the people who are trying to bring down this evil, corrupt, totalitarian government. And they keep talking about how we need to hack into the uplink so we can broadcast our footage and take down these people and their propaganda. And Arnold's like, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> He's just like telling them straight out to <laughs> I'm not sh- into politics. I'm into survival. He's like, I don't give a fuck about this. And he says, I don't care. He says, I'll give you your uplink and your ass will be underground. <laughs> and he just does not care. And, and those are the parts where you believe him. Yeah. The, part, the part where the movie just fails utterly is when Arnold is saying, I will not fire on innocent people. It's right. like, fuck yeah, yes. you will. You're Arnold. <laughs> yeah. You'll fire on anybody. Who are you kidding? <laughs> 
that's the thing. That's, I totally don't yeah. believe Arnold is the. I no save the women and children. No, no, no. Wait, the no most that's un- not him. The most unbelievable part, and I guess we'll break it wide open now. The most unbelievable part is that the audience is is so gullible that uh, it's all normalized. This whole fiction, this whole murder fiction, for their their entertainment. And the moment, like anyone, the first time that someone suggests by re-editing Damien Killian's uh, with 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 uh, letters with sci-fi Futura looking letters over it, the first time that someone sees something like that, then they say, "Oh wait, we were lied to all along. It's a fraud." <laughs> that's the they wouldn't, they wouldn't just they wouldn't just say that's obviously a lie. Obviously, the, the fiction that I like best is the one that they're selling me. The, the entertaining one yeah. that Killian is. Lying to you, it yeah. says across the screen when they finally do hack that feed, <laughs> and it's like, well, unfortunately, they've been trained to believe the TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. that's the classic mistake that a lot of science fiction writers make, though. The um, it, it it's in Serenity. If you've seen Serenity, mm. that mistake mm. happens there. The idea that if you you just get the word out to the people, right. then they'll rise up. No, they won't. Right. No, they won't. You know what that looks like in real life? That looks like Edward Snowden. Yeah. That, that looks like, you know, a bunch of people going, who's that? Fuck him. He's yeah. a traitor. If, if you want to look, look know, at this through That's the, what it looks like in real life. The populace uh, is sort of represented. <laughs> no, the populace is represented by the people that are betting on it at the uh, betting at the ports. Yeah. Th- that, that's the rabble in the streets. That's who they're worried about, right? At the very end, he's like, they're betting on Richards out there. And Captain Freedom says, bullshit. Like, it's impossible that this is going to happen. Like, this is the sign of what's impossible is that their somehow their their TV show doesn't go exactly the same way every single night, and in the end, everyone's cheering when the show is blown up. Even the guys who run the bookies, they're like, "Yay! Our, our livelihood is down the drain!" Yay! <laughs> what I love and, about it uh, is that, and this is, I guess, is an undercurrent of believability <laughs> to the unbelievability of people going, "What? I've been lied to!" Because, well, the first thing they would do is, "Fuck you! You got my show canceled." <laughs> I know. Why are you interrupting my stories? But I like the fact that when they start cheering for Richards, it's the same sort of thing as Rocky Four, where the Soviets start chanting for Rocky mm-hmm. because he manages to win. Is they're not cheering for Arnold Schwarzenegger because Arnold Schwarzenegger is showing how horrible and corrupt this government is. He's not exposing that these people are liars. He's just as better at killing than the people they're used to cheering for. Yeah. They're cheering for him because he's a killer. And they're like, wow, that is that was an excellent murder. So these people are just as stupid and just as just you know, gorged on blood and violence as they've ever been. And it's sort of like once this show is over... They're just going to be pissed that there isn't another episode. Well, because a lot of guy, them got shot at, too. Yeah. But they show up at the end, and Arnold shows up with a machine gun with that, it's showtime, <laughs> and starts opening fire on the set. And that's the point where the movie feels a little bit like a Universal Studios stunt show, <laughs> where you're watching something on a screen, and then suddenly actors run out from the side of the stage and get involved in the action. And it's like, ooh, it's like 3D. That's what's so weird about it. It's this abrupt left turn into complete non-believability because up until then there's all the stuff that felt really unbelievable at the time in the years since has come true right when this was yeah. made there was no such thing as american idol there was no such thing as cable shows like naked and afraid there there's you know <laughs> if you look if, if is you, that a real thing it yes. is a real thing holy shit yeah they take people out in the wilderness and strip them naked and drop them and good luck see you in a week Oh, Jesus. You know, don't ask the cameraman following you around for food because he won't give you any, um, et cetera. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I don't know how about... far they go no, with I, that. I, it's carefully managed just like everything else. But I wonder how if there was those crazy um, sort of hum, hum, humiliation uh, game shows in Japan in the 80s. And I wonder how much of the inspiration for this, well, it was... It came from the book. It came from the book, the source of the book. So if it was a wholly original Stephen King creation or were they sort of feeding off of the zeitgeist of what was coming out of Japanese television, which eventually became in the 90s blew up as like this. Oh, my God, it's so crazy. Looking how they're making they're humiliating these people in all sorts of fun ways. And then it becomes, you know, fear factor, having people eating horse penises. the, the, The zeitgeist of science fiction at the time was a lot of science fiction writers were looking at television with this ho- kind of horror that you can't i don't know i mean you kind of see it today you you see the same group of talking heads shaking their heads and being freaked out by reality television or fox news it's like i can't believe that the human 
psyche could sink this low. It's like, dude, it's been sinking this low as long as there's been human psyches. Hmm. In the hmm. 70s, it was kind of like, I can't believe that people are willing to humiliate themselves like this on television. What's what's the extrapolation of that? Yeah. <laughs> and and hmm. you come up with something really over the top, like right. The Running Man. Well, now here we sit in 2015 going, well, you know, you could almost sell The Running Man today. But yeah. That would but, almost work. But by the time you actually film <clears throat> The Running Man movie, you're basically one literary generation past that point, right? And so yeah. when the, the way they sell this show in the in universe is by having it be a show on the same network who airs pain American style confess and the hate boat the hate boat that was my favorite poster in the background yeah i know and i looked at it and i laughed and i thought that was really funny and then i thought a minute and went well really that's temptation island isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've already that's, seen that that's yeah. you know yeah at least they're more honest and there, in this there's universe. all those msnbc shows about prisoners like you know lock up or i forget right. the others but they're all about you know following around hardcore prisoners and watching them be horrible i, I guess this is yet another one of those instances where uh i don't i, I just want to watch my sci-fi i don't want to live it yeah i guess yeah yeah, i'm a little uncomfortable with how prescient it ended up being but but for me for for me though oh go ahead sorry i was just gonna say and then it takes the abrupt left turn into the cliche of we've revealed the truth to the people and they'll all rise up no it's like no they won't they totally won't that's not going to happen 10 minutes after the credits roll on the running man a mob descends on schwarzenegger and kills him (laughs) forgetting the show canceled that's what happens right i'm absolutely convinced of it. He he and the girl get as far as the gate. <laughs> and then it all ends really badly for him because we learned we learned during the Watergate hearings you do not fuck with the television audience. Yeah. The single biggest response to the Watergate hearings was a, an avalanche of phone calls from people complaining about their soap operas getting interrupted. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's that's where we're living. Um to me but the whole thing and this this will be a non sequitur is that the Running Man seems to me like if if a Super Nintendo were around in nineteen nine in eighteen nineteen eighty seven, this is a Super Nintendo game. This is if someone had made the, even the music to me sounds like it was composed and synthesized for a sixteen bit console. Um, but if someone had prior to nineteen eighty seven created a video game that was about two contestants going in front of television and blowing things away. I would have thought that this movie would have been the movie adaptation of a successful video game. It, That's what it feels like. It does. It has video game bosses in it. I mean, there's these gimmicky villains that Schwarzenegger has to fight throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote down their names. There's like Fireball, who's uh, Jim Brown in a jetpack yes. with a flamethrower. The, the number one all-time rusher. Which is my favorite thing. He's my favorite guy of all the the... What do they call them? The hunters? Stalkers. 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 He's my favorite of all the stalkers because... You know, the I'm actually a bigger fan of Jim Brown's film career than Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger. But Jim Brown's a nice guy. Jim, and he, they they kind of make him a nice guy from the beginning, and he only end up really becomes bad when he's the guy who gets his number called up, and then he's a psychopath. Yeah. But the rest of the time, Jim Brown's just sort of like he's a cool guy to have around. Who would have figured that somebody who professionally kills prisoners in theatrical ways on television would be a psychopath? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, here's my question that's really boggling: is who would watch the running man and think that there's not one but two future state governors. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's freaky. That is. And that also brings us to Jesse Ventura playing Captain Freedom. Of course. And he's the one, I think, I think he's where the, the, there's not, I wouldn't say subversive, but the playful nature of the way they did the story comes out. Because he's obviously someone who was a wrestler. And the way that they introduce him is that he's doing weightlifter poses in a promo for an, his his own branded exercise video. It's essentially a cross between the Jane Fonda workouts and professional wrestling. <laughs> and it has one of my favorite moments in any Jesse Ventura anything ever. <laughs> because he just comes out like, yeah, are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. I'm, I'm usually on board for number one, but for suffering, I have to say no. no. I think most of the audience is going to drop out after number two. And he has that sort of like hands up in the air, jumping jack, ha ha pose. <laughs> and then he jumps into one of those deltoid poses, and right. then he flips his head back, goes ha, and dances off screen. 
I absolutely love it. I love Jesse Ventura committing to looking silly. No, not only that, but him, but him uh, being obsessed with the gladiator code and him not wanting any tricks. And he's in the end of the movie, he stomps in wearing like a robot suit. <laughs> I won't do it, Killian. He's just I, mad that he's being forced to dress up like a robot to go on camera. Yeah, he, this is a game of death and honor. Code of the gladiators. <laughs> and I love he just commits himself seriously to a ridiculous premise, which is the right. best thing you can do, which is let it be ridiculous and have the characters take the ridiculousness yeah. seriously. There's and- more development in Captain Freedom than any other character, I think, in this movie. No, be- no, no, no. Because- Dawson. Oh, well. Dawson. That's, I guess that's true. That We should probably stop now oh. and, and talk about Richard Dawson and quite possibly the most inspired casting I've seen in any movie. Yeah, yeah. He's This movie would not be him. So he plays Damon Killian, who is, I guess he's the network head, but he also is the host of uh, the network of IC- ICS, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he also is the one who, um, he's apparently like politically probably the best connected person in the plant on the planet, right? He uh, he can call the president's agent. Yeah. Um. But he is a uh. He is like an incredibly charismatic and popular game show host. And behind the scenes, he is a complete asshole. And he is a, he's a complete authoritarian asshole to his to his crew. It was and, a real stretch for Richard Dawson. And I'm sure it was a stretch for <laughs> the guy. The guy who was uh who continually looked drunk and said about kissing every female member of a family on Family Feud. Yeah, he's sort of the overly familiar uh, game show host on Family Feud. I think he did. Password? No, no. He was he was a regular on Match Game. Match Game. Match Game. Yeah. Match Game, which was you know again that was one of those shows that people were writers were looking at going holy fuck how did this get <laughs> on television? <laughs> how low are they going to go with these game shows? And then they would extrapolate it, and a lot of it was the drunken freak show that was <laughs> the Match Game, hmm. and then that was followed by the uh, really you know just. Just barely approaching Chester the Molester territory of Family Feud and Richard Dawson. Oh my so, God, he is so well cast here. Yeah, he, it was just genius. And the the thing that's beautiful of it, what you're saying about Jesse Ventura goes a thousand times more for Richard Dawson. Yeah, he so completely embraced the whole idea right. of I am so going to bite the hand that feeds me. Right. Yeah. Right. I am. I am going to. I am going to. Just just really, I am going to feed the fantasy of everybody that ever watched Family Feud and wanted a professional wrestler to hit me in the face. <laughs> I am I am going to own that. <laughs> I really love that he's like the only person in any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that manages to get a retort to a catchphrase. That he puts Arnold in that crazy bobsleddy thing that he's going to shoot him uh-huh. down into the game board. And right before he goes down there, Arnold goes, Killian, I'll be back. And he just looks down at him and goes, only in a rerun. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And, I, I, it, you know, the Damon's so interesting because you you get his character in from the first 40, min, 40 seconds that you see him. He's, he comes out of his uh, Maserati, stretch Maserati limousine to a crowd of people outside of the ICS building. He slips on a mop by a careless uh, underling, you know, a minimum wage worker, and says, you know, he says, oh, no, that's okay. You're doing a great job. Then one beat, they enter the elevator, and he says, "You know, if you're no, if you don't, that guy is here tomorrow. You're going to be mopping the floor all week." Like they do his character arc so well in just the first forty seconds, you understand oh, yeah. exactly what he is. I love the little bits too, the things around his office, not just the posters, but the things that he says, like the fact that Bill, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a political prisoner, and that's something that's hands off for his game show. Right. But ratings have plateaued. He needs the next big thing, and he sees this escape. Which is, the escape is one of my favorite things ever because I love that fucking net cannon that they capture Arnold with at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I, it's one of those things that I know it works in fiction, but I bet you that thing is a piece of shit in real life. Well, the net cannon was impressive. I, I will, however, say I've always been duly impressed by the destructive collar. The whole the destructive collar is was, so that's the the beginning of the the movie right like he's framed for uh, something refusing to fire on innocent civilians and then he goes to a work camp in the Wilshire detention zone somewhere in among four hundred square blocks of destroyed Los Angeles right some kind of post apocalyptic thing um, and uh, he's on a work crew in a steel mill I don't know why they're producing st- I, I guess they're producing steel they start a revolt. 
Uh, but what's keeping the prisoners in line is that they have sort of these uh, explosive collars, and if they run past a field, their head blows off. And you get you get to see it once. So they, they paid it off. They paid off Chekhov's gun. Um, and it's brutal. It's kind of <laughs> they lovely. do it really well. It it uh, it's clearly some kind of a dummy that they've kicked into motion, exploded it, and then the dummy falls down like a hu- human human. It was blood. like a cherry tomato in a microwave. It, <laughs> it was satisfying. Chico, you boys are just terrible. They they bothered to give that guy line a name too. That was the thing. He gets a name. Well, you have to yell something. The reason you give that character a name is for that line. So you can yell something in a long yell right before it pops. That's how it goes. Oh, okay. Done caring about him. Moving on with the movie. (laughs) We set the stakes. Yeah. Um, you notice that they have the resistance, the the two guys that lead the resistance are Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac mm-hmm. and Dweezil Zappa. Mick Fleetwood playing a f- future version of himself, apparently. You know how He's much named he, Mick. He looks exactly like Mick Fleetwood looks now <laughs> in the age makeup. Yeah. I've got to say, of all the things, Greg, that this movie was prescient about, <laughs> it knew what Mick Fleetwood look, looked like in the year 2015. Yeah. I don't know. See, I look at the resistance and I think a lot of this must be backward like reasoning backward from casting Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, we're casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as a guy named Ben Richards. He's got a really thick accent. Very so Semi- Semitic name, we're, too. We're going to load <laughs> all our supporting cast members with other thick accents so that Arnold's won't stand out. So you get Maria right. Conchita Alonso with her heavy Spanish accent. You right. get Mick Fleetwood, who's a Brit. And uh, Sven only Thorson, yeah. <laughs> who can barely speak at all. Yeah, I actually, in one of his lines, I actually had to go back. He, he and has put one the, line in the movie. One line in the movie, and the first time I heard it, I had to go back and turn on <laughs> the closed captions. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Sven. Thanks for taking another pass at that. Well, but that was the take they used. Um, I do like that Sven has got the flat top beard combo. He looks yeah. a lot like what you imagine a younger. Um, <laughs> Younger version of Walter Subcheck from The Big Lebowski would look like. <laughs> I thought he looked like Zangief. Z- he yeah. does look a little bit Zangief-like. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of the payoff at the end where he plays uh, Damon Killian's heavy. Mm-hmm. And he finally, Arnold, has Damon Killian cornered. And he sees uh, Sven over there and is like laughing because he's like, okay, now we get the two big bruiser guys to duke it out on the set of this thing. And I can sneak out the back. And earlier in the movie, we'd had that moment where uh, he had insulted Sven. What? The steroids make you deaf? <laughs> and this moment where he's finally cornered, Sven gets his come up and is like, sorry, steroids. And just walks away. He says, I'm going to score some steroids. Yeah. And you, as you can barely understand anything except for the word steroids. steroids. And he just leaves <laughs> Which into is still his enough fate. to pay yeah, off the it's, joke. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> he just have to go, yeah, fuck you, Richard Dawson. <laughs> and leaves him to his fate. That... That said, there are a lot of fucking great catchphrases in this movie. Oh, yeah. What was it? One of the things that he does, and what I love is when he's doing that escape from the steel mill at the beginning with the collars, is he just gorilla presses this guy over his head, one of the evil guards, and says, need a lift? And just chucks him over <laughs> the side. He's smiling. Like, he yeah. grabs him. He finally grabs his shirt, and then he, then he smiles, because, you know, he's really going to enjoy ending this man's life. Yeah. yeah see, that's, really who, enjoy that's when I'm really buying Schwarzenegger as Ken <laughs> Richards. is like, yeah, that guy, that guy I totally believe in. I'm in for the ride with him. He is like a real <laughs> dick in this movie. That's yeah. the thing, is that we're told that he's uh, not willing to kill helpless people, but that's the only people he's not willing to kill. <laughs> Everyone else, he will happily and gleefully murder. But it's like that moment, it's kind of like in the Highlander where they can't kill somebody in a church. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm happy to kill, but I have this one little rule. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the minute you become not helpless, I'm going to gleefully start hammering your head in. And I, I kind of love that. He is such a dick. Yes. And the fact that he becomes uh, Maria Conchita Alonso's uh, love interest in the last three seconds of the movie. <laughs> yeah. They that's, decided they only needed that that's, plot for that's the last Stockholm Syndrome. Right. in a big way. I'm sorry, that's a very unhealthy oh. relationship. Fortunately, it's only going to last until they get to the studio game because they're both going to be murdered by the angry mob. This, this studio is surrounded by troops right now. They are just going to probably just carpet bomb the building from the air because they're like, yeah, we're not going to fucking fight that Austrian psychopath. We're just going to nuke him from orbit because it's the only way to be sure. You have to be. 
So what I love is the fact that they have this love interest thing out of nowhere. Yeah, even he, though- ki- he kidnaps her originally, right? And there is a lot of more than one a few times even directly mentioned like is he going to rape her like they're playing with that tension at the very beginning right because he's a he's a home intruder well he doesn't threaten it but when she escapes later she rats him out to the cops and he gets thrown no, but they obviously that's the implication behind yeah. her working out in almost no, no clothes whatsoever and him having just showered and shaved right it's like it's like this is the expectation he's you subvert that expectation and you think that that makes ben richards a little better of a guy because he says I don't, i'm not that's what i'm not what i'm here for uh you know just five minutes and then I'll leave. Right? You're sufficiently helpless, so yeah. I can't murder no. you. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I think so. They have to sell him as not the psychopath because uh, he didn't fire on innocent civilians. But they have to also. He has to also be a psychopath and kill lots of people. However, he does threaten to murder her on three separate occasions. I can break your neck like a chicken's. Yeah, he he does that <laughs> while going in. He basically uh, goes back to his old brother's apartment, hoping to get some some help. But his brother's already been captured by the government for re-education mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, now she's living in the old apartment. They didn't change the lock, which is a little bit shady. Yeah. You'd think that yeah. this, oh, by the way, this escaped psychopath is on the loose. You might want to change your locks because this is his brother's house. Yeah, it also has, uh, that keypad also had buttons for 10, 11, and 12. I've never seen that that uh, that orientation for keypad Well, it before. is the future. Yes, 10, 11, yeah. and 12 are very important. So uh, In the future, we need three more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he does, he thre- like I said, he threatens to kill her. It goes up to 12 <laughs> yes. in yeah. the future. <laughs> he does threaten to kill her three times. The first time is when he has her tied up in the exercise machine, and she's, he wants to use her travel pass so he can go to Hawaii and escape. And she says, well, why should I help you? He says, because I'll say... Please. And he lifts the entire machine, and you see it actually bolted to the ground, getting ripped up. And he's just going to tip her out the window before <laughs> she agrees. Um, I think the third one, too, is that when she gets thrown into the game, after she figures out after the fact that, hey, it turns out that the government is a bunch of liars. Right. Because she sees the news report about him getting captured and knows that that stuff isn't true. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of murdered people in it. So she goes to find the original footage of the so-called Bakersfield Massacre that he was responsible for. Bakersfield Massacre would be my heavy metal band name, I think. You'd have to go. (laughs) Anything named after a 1980s Schwarzenegger movie. But, yeah, it's it's such a crazy thing that, all, again, Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. They just kiss to the rock anthem and we fade to black. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, I guess that's a thing now. <laughs> well, see, I think that's the whole D'Souza fuck yeah-ification of the original story is, you know, adding things like catchphrases and a romance at the end and you know and uplifting the people rise and revolt that's all that's all part of the the changing it to make a feel good box office movie out of this nihilistic horrible <laughs> you have to science end it on, fiction story right yeah how do you end um, that on a high note yeah and that was actually one of my favorite things in the movie fight club that mm-hmm. essentially the bad guy wins in that movie, but they have mm-hmm. the characters sort of holding hands and there's sort of triumphant music kind of coming in. And it tricks you into thinking it's a happy ending. And it it feels a little bit like that here, except not as intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're like, no, this is a happy ending. You know, canceling one TV show in a totalitarian state, the most popular TV show, is going to overthrow this government. That That's what it mm-hmm. takes. <laughs> By the way, uh, when they're going through potential contestants before they settle on Arnold, did you guys ever hit pause really fast on the people they're skipping through? One of them is baby-faced something-something, and it's an actual baby. It's, an, it's a fucking toddler. Yes. And, oh my god, uh, one of the, them... The One of the things that really redeems this movie from being just a bad action movie is that everybody involved with it is clearly having a huge laugh and a really good time yeah. Yeah, doing the, it. The credits that come that roll at the end of uh, uh, of them are all joke credits. They're all like, you know, the, what is it, the lighting by stand over here, you know. <laughs> like you if you you can actually in the HD versions you could see this on VHF which was the intended way to view this this film, actually, on VHS. You could not have picked those those details no. up. Yeah, that, there's the little things in there. Like, one of the criminals that he scans through, because I had to pause it a few times. It goes by fast. One of them is a guy named Brad Pepsi Yamamoto. <laughs> and one of the things that he's described is having a, quote, morbid interest in intellectual games, i.e. chess. As if it's this sort of this character flaw 
that makes him a problem. No, that whole scene is actually full of like fun levity because they're like Killian and his staff are trying to decide who to put on the game tonight. Right? They're 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 having a problem. They're in a rating slump. Um, and they're looking through the 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 roster of recently captured criminals of who are we going to put on the show. And one of them says, you know, the the female assistant pitches, what about those two bank robbers with the suicide pact? And then he says, did they kill each other? And she says, obviously not, Damon. And his response is, then they're unreliable. (laughs) (laughs) The setups are fantastic. Yeah. His setups are great. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that... D'Souza was drawing on a lot of real life experience when he was putting together all the TV jokes and all the production right. meeting stuff and taking the piss out of agents and all of that stuff. <laughs> I know that he a probably of, a code appointed probably, theatrical agent, which yes, is like he's like yeah. the slimiest human being possible. I, that's, <laughs> my, that's my favorite line in the entire movie. It comes from the theatrical agent. They're having him sign all of these uh, release forms as he's walking out in his jumpsuit. And he's like, "Your sign here, victim." <laughs> and the guy's try- and Arnold's trying to sign this thing, standing up. He's use my back. And he turns around, and Arnold does a signature, and then just stabs the pen <laughs> through the paperwork into the guy's back. Ah! Yeah, he gives kind of a Bobcat Goldthwait performance right there. He's going, ah! Ah! and he spins around with a sheepish look, like, ah! and Arnold just goes, "Don't forget to send me a copy." <laughs> <laughs> I just absolutely, that's my favorite moment. That delivery of that line, yeah. there's yeah. a smile barely hidden on Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> face in that moment. And I think it's that little grin that he has when he does it that lets you know it's okay to laugh at the death of fellow human beings. It's totally okay in Hollywood to laugh at the death of an agent. Yes. That's, oh, that's the true. subtext yeah. of that moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that was the other thing, too, speaking of just like the fact that he has a court appointed theatrical agent. When uh, Killian gets on the phone to break the normal rule where he can't have a political prisoner, he says, give me the Justice Department, Entertainment Division. <laughs> yes. Every yes. every time Killian's on the phone, it's gold. Yeah. It's yeah. just gold. Do you remember the, the bit? I wish to God I could remember the exact line, but he's saying, no, Gilligan. No, the yes. one with the island. The, yeah, the one with the boat. There was a couple moments where characters in the movie didn't recognize old TV shows. Right. And mm-hmm. at one point, uh, Mick Fleetwood says to his underling, you have the con, Mr. Spock. Who's Mr. Spock? Yeah. <laughs> those are those are kind of charming, but now they're a little overwrought, I think, in this yeah. day and age. It's trying, to, it's trying to sell. This is the thing. If TV is the most important thing, you think people would love TV shows and know everything about television. Well, now they're just watching The Hate uh, Boat. Oh, I see. But I think everything's been It's replaced. sort of like the memory hole. This, this, I always felt that the way that they did it in the movie was sort of this half of its foot in Brave New World, half of its foot in 1984. Like it was this dystopian society that was controlled by this uh, by the Ministry of Truth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but and with the memory hole was active, but it also was people are entertained to death, right? You know, people are just comfortable enough, and they're entertained to death. I always felt that it had its foot in both camps. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's probably because. D'Souza was handed this book that's very much, you know, fight the power, hate the government, you know, fascist, jackboot future. And he used that as a vehicle to write all the nasty shit that had been building up with him about network television since he was a staff writer on The Bionic Woman. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, uh, wow. You know, wow. it's it, clearly there's a lot of venting going on in here. And, <laughs> and I read. Well, and also this, must be Mark, Mark, Mark Paul Glazer, too. Yeah, because oh, of, yeah. of him being an actor and then being a TV director. Well, as well. not just an actor, but formerly Starsky. Yes. Yeah, where yes. you know, if you know anything about his history on Starsky and Hutch, Glazer was always the thespian that wanted to bring more to it. That wanted to be. It's like, dude, it's Starsky <laughs> and Hutch. <laughs> Get a grip. Oh. There is no, there is no Shakespearean emoting on Starsky and Hutch. It's yeah. about shooting people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta get on the truck like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He knows what movie he's in and he's thrilled. Yes, yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not doing Shakespeare. He's mm-hmm. just he's shooting people and smirking about it. And we should probably talk a little bit about these crazy stalkers that we actually see. Of course, of course. The because... first the first one is uh, Professor Toru Tanaka, who plays Professor Sub Zero. I like that he has a professor title. Yes, yeah, they keep that. He's, mm-hmm. he's an educated samurai hockey player. He, he's a giant, possibly like th- like muscle bound, bullish, like three hundred pound Japanese guy who is a hockey player with like a. Sh- Ultra sharpened hockey stick and explosive pucks. Yeah, he cuts That's through it. a gong with that. Yes. Isn't there a freeze ray at some point? I don't think there's a 
No freeze, freeze ray. ray. They, they no? are on ice, but there's no freeze oh, ray. They're, okay. Electricity is shot out of a fat man in a light bright. Oh, okay. yes. Dynamo, yeah, the opera yes. singing guy. Yes. Yes. And he has a little uh, go-kart that he drives around in, too. Yeah, it would have been it would have been incredibly difficult, I think, to make that a- that particular actor run around like the head all the rest of the soccer. <laughs> he was not going to be doing too much walking. And probably the other most believable character in the movie, Buzzsaw, the chainsaw mm-hmm. fetishist, who rides around on a motorcycle, who does get one of the coolest catchphrases in the movie, <laughs> where he's like, this saw's a part of me. I'm going to make it part of you. <laughs> and Arnold's like, no, you keep it. And manages to maneuver the chainsaw down and cuts the guy up from the crotch. Oh, my God. And then later, like, what happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, we shouldn't also forget about uh, Yafet Kodo and I don't remember the other guy's name. So uh, Laughlin and Weiss, who are his buddies who he escapes with. Mm -hmm. Laughlin is a former school teacher who is constantly lamenting the fact that the kids these days are being brainwashed by the television and that he needs to teach them high school civics. Like, this is his main concern. And Weiss is like your typical hacker guy. Like, like civics is going to be a real (laughs) issue for anybody growing up in this country. They're teaching about the completely nullified and uh, uh, ineffective constitution that no longer exists in America. Uh, And then Weiss is the hacker, of course. So he's the guy who they're basically using to propel the whole B-plot of the broadcasting tower so they can broadcast their pirate signal. Yeah, it's, and they they both die, and naturally they both die. sadly. For it's Yafet not Kodo. not the best death for Yafet Kodo. No. That would be in Live and Let Die, where he literally inflates and explodes. <laughs> yes, yes, I think he just bleeds out in this one, but he does get a cool high five moment with Arnold oh, while they're yeah. walking away from Sub Zero, the dead hockey player. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's a beautifully framed shot. It is almost <laughs> like the people filming the TV show wanted to make them look cool. You know, <laughs> as they walked away, he goes, "I give you Sub Zero now." Plane zero. <laughs> you know, I've always I, th- this is a this does take me out of the movie, although it's not difficult to be taken out of this particular movie. Mm. But this has the uh, that this has the Star Trek three problem where they're relating a scene that you've seen earlier in the movie to another audience via television, and somehow it gracefully has all of the same shots that you saw it as a movie watcher. D- despite the fact that those camera angles could not have been taken from security cameras, that's your... That's oh, the, you're, you're that's talking, you're talking about, about the Bakersfield Massacre. Oh, like in Star Trek Three, where they have footage of the Enterprise exploding, and it's like, who fucking filmed this? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, no, it's you the exact wanna... same shots with some other stuff edited in. And I have to... This is... I, had, I, I think I rewinded and watched it about a dozen times... I do believe that uh, when they edit the TV edit of the Bakersfield Massacre, whereby Schwarzenegger becomes the evil guy and kills people, um, when it shows the crowd shot of people panicking, I'm sure, 98% sure, that's from 1941, Steven Spielberg's 1941. Oh. I'm sure it's B-roll from 1941, based on the costumes that they're wearing that make them look like they're from the 40s. (laughs) And then the rest of it are stock footage of things exploding, basically. Cars blowing up, buildings blowing Mm. up. Oh, man. So... We should probably get into the last part of our discussion. Oh, oh man. So soon? So soon. (laughs) So not only is this a movie that only takes place two years in the future, 2017 to 2019. Yes. We're closing in Back to the Future 2 style on this. Yeah. But now we have to sort of talk about this in the rearview mirror, because this is a movie that's almost 30 years old now. How does this actually hold up as a movie? Schwarzenegger aside, is The Running Man a good movie? Oh, objectively, probably not. Um, You know, in terms of the cinematic art, if, you know, on one end you have Citizen Kane and on the other hand you have Robot Monster, um, (laughs) The Running Man probably is closer to the Robot Monster end of that scale, objectively. But I really like it. And it has to have something going for it for a guy who's really, I'm not a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I really like this movie. It's one of only a couple of Schwarzenegger movies that I own in my home. Mm. And I think the reason I like it is because of the the sort of twisted satirical angle of it. It's uh, the jokes really land. Richard Dawson is amazing. The thing that Schwarzenegger does really well that I said at the beginning is he picks his projects really well, and he seems to have a gift for having really talented people next to him in most of the things that he does. 
And, um, you know, whatever I think about Stephen D'Souza's heavy-handed, fist-pumping, fuck-yeah style of screenwriting, <laughs> he, um, he's, he's got a really good handle on what makes a story work and what's crowd-pleasing. And a lot, of, a lot of what I think hurts the story that they, they threw away a lot of the good stuff in the book is all redeemed by the fact that... Everybody involved with this movie knew that what it was about was about Arnold Schwarzenegger humiliating Richard Dawson on television. <laughs> Everything else is gravy. <laughs> it is all it's all aimed at that moment where he stomps onto the stage and puts Dawson in the thingy and fires him. Oh <laughs> yeah, into the billboard. Into an yeah. exploding billboard. And the catchphrase that he uses when he fires him into that billboard for the soda, I didn't catch what that was a reference. He was like, that really hit the spot. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> the commercial. The commercial for the soda. Yeah. And I was uh-huh. like, I, the second time I rewatched it, because I watched it three times to prepare for this episode, uh, that I was like, holy crap, that's a callback! <laughs> yeah. It was great. If if I'm to t- look at this in terms of like how good of a movie it is, there are countless uh, 80s action movies that ended up being produced simply for the VHS rental market in the 80s that had you get you knew exactly what you got. Um, there's an extra charm, and part of it is the art direction. I would say it just actually looks very co- it's very colorful. It looks very different. There's a lot of good contrast between. Um, the game show stuff and the real world stuff, and of course the the just simply the th- the weird theatricality that all the parody and that Richard Dawson brings to it makes it something that you re- there's a lot of stuff that you end up remembering. Like one of the things that I remember the most was, a, and I hadn't seen it before this for probably 20 years. I remembered Arnold Schwarzenegger with the loudest ass Hawaiian shirt on, making jokes about his shirt with his hand around Maria Conchita Alonso's neck, saying. Oh, I could break your neck like a chicken's. I remembered that line. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It the way they visually set that joke up, and you know, I could throw up now. Won't show on this shirt. Like <laughs> some of that is some of that is so good. It's so it's so very memorable. Uh, unlike you know hundreds of other generic action movies that have a, as much of a flimsy premise as this one. This one I'm going to remember it, and it's not just because of Arnold. Yeah, I was looking at this movie, too. I, I watched it three times to prepare for the episode. I mean, it's absurd, it's campy, but it's so rewatchable yeah. that I could go back to it. And I would sort of assume with most of these action movies that are out there that you get everything you want out of it with the first viewing. And after that, you get bored really quickly. But I enjoyed it all three times I watched it. And I can't say that about a lot of movies. It's like objectively... Avengers Age of Ultron is a better movie than The Running Man, but I don't know if I'm ever going to watch Avengers Age of Ultron again. Hmm. I think I got hmm. exactly what I wanted out of it the first time. I may watch it on Netflix a couple years from now, or if I'm showing it to somebody else for the first time, but I don't anticipate actually sitting down and watching it again and again. I own The Running Man, mm-hmm. and I get my money's worth out of owning it, even though I didn't pay that much for it. I This is a movie that I'm going to watch again. I know for a fact I'm going to watch again. It's not high art, and like you said, Greg, it's not Citizen Kane, but it's fun. Yeah. And I don't know any movie that's fun and memorable like that. Hmm. Oh, well, see, I would argue that there's like this, there's a subgenre of action movies that are not marketed as comedies, but right. they work right. as comedies. They make you laugh in that kind of sick, I hate myself for finding this so funny yeah. way. I, I would, I would like argue that Beverly Roadhouse Hills. is one of those oh, movies. Yeah. Yes. John, yes. John Wick is one of those sure. movies. Sure. You know, and The Running Man is one of those movies. There's, yeah. there's that kind of, oh my God, they went there <laughs> kind of <laughs> feeling about The Running Man that I think that's, that's what you're talking about, Mike. That's, that's what makes it an ownable kind of a movie. Hmm. So I guess the second part of our question is, where does this fit in the Arnold Schwarzenegger canon? Is this mm. a movie that we're going to remember? Is this Arnold at his best, or is this an <sighs> outlier? So what, what do you think? For me, uh, the I'm not going to reveal the other two. This is, this is in a three-way tie for my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which is kind of cheating, right? It's not your favorite if it's <laughs> a three, but it's in a three-way tie. Um, I remember this movie probably more than any other movie than Terminator 2 out of all of his canon um, and mostly because we actually own Terminator 2 on VHS and watched it God knows how many times 
uh, stay tuned for Terminator 2, by the way. Um, but the as far as an Arnold movie, I firmly believe that you can see Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting prowess get better through the course of this film. At the very beginning, the helicopter stuff is very wooden. Who knows in what order they sh- shot this in. The helicopter stuff was really wooden. You can barely believe him as a uh, as a good old down home American working for the f- working for the fascist paramilitary government. Um, and by the end of it, I think some of the gaffes that you get from him and some of the his exasperated sort of uh, words that he's the dialogue that he said is so much better Arnold acting than you had seen prior to this. Um, and I I think he, I think this is a as a uh, is a movie in wherein he grows and it's only eclipsed by the fact that a much better movie objectively predator comes out in the, exactly the same year that i think elevates this um but i think it's i think it's one of his most visually memorable movies and i think that it's the one that might be the most fun i'm gonna say this is top five arnold for me yeah maybe even top three like you yeah and i think that it has the things that I want from a Schwarzenegger movie, which is, again, the quality we call absurd macho bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got catchphrases. I like the fact that it has this added element of social satire that I don't expect from an Arnold movie, and that those bits all land. Richard Dawson is an awesome villain. I've got to back Greg up on this. He may if if he, if Arnold wasn't the main character in this movie. It would be less good than it is, but Richard Dawson really carries this movie. Right. He carries the world. He's the one who relays the information. He's the one that gets Arnold in the place where you just want to see him kill this son of a bitch. He is just so slimy and so fun and charismatic, and he just nails all of his lines, especially from someone I'm not even sure was an actor. I mean, I know he, oh, he was. was. He was? Yeah, he was an actor he, in Britain. He was an accomplished actor. Yeah. Oh, actually. he's fucking great. Yeah. I love Richard Dawson in this movie. He's, it was weird because he's a British guy, but by the time you get to here, he can sell basically an American accent to where you can't even say, you can't even detect it at all. Like the fact that I didn't even know he was British. Yeah. That to me, yeah. the, that's how you sell a, a, a fake accent. Right. <laughs> he's not doing the same thing a lot of British actors do, whether it's uh, Hugh Laurie or Idris Elba, where it's kind of the growly, tough guy voice. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how an American sounds like, kind of a. No, I mean, I just I bought it completely. Yeah. He's not doing a voice. He's great. Also, Damon Killian's the only movie villain that I in memory that has a human cup holder. Yes, he has. He has one of his assistants be his human cup holder. Was it Kurt Fuller? No, it's the woman. It's his. It's his uh, female assistant. I I love those background characters yeah. too. I mean, Kurt every... Fuller also playing almost the same character he plays in Wayne's World, by the way. In every the, movie, the that's... bootlick, like this, <laughs> the ridiculous bootlick working for the bastard. You know, that's every uh-huh. Kurt Fuller job ever. I mean, if he's not playing that, you're like, then why did you cast Kurt Fuller? <laughs> it's like, but if you mean, oh, it's great. But that's what I love is that it's sort of an absurd you know, bullshitty sort of story, but it actually has this kind of this smart sensibility to it. It's a little bit like they live hmm, where you don't that. know if it's a smart, stupid movie or a stupid, smart movie. Right. And mm. I've got to say, I'm, I'm thrilled. It's is a high point for us to start the show on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Greg, what do you think? How does this hold up in the echelon of great films that are the Schwarzenegger canon? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I first of all, I have to admire the careful phrasing of that question, <laughs> given my my general estimation of Arnold's thespic ability. Um, you know, this this is definitely one of the high points for me. Again, it's one of the few that I own. Um, you know, I tend to put the Terminator movies kind of off in their own category. Um, you know, because I I think of them as just science fiction movies rather than Arnold movies. Hmm. As far as Arnold movies are concerned, um, yeah, this is a high point as well. Um, I can't sit here and rattle off, you know, the canon. I haven't seen that many of them. I certainly like this one way better than than Commando. I like it quite a bit better than Predator. Um, oh, wow. It's, I do. Hmm. Predator is, you know, you could put anybody in Predator. <laughs> Part of the fun of this is the what I was saying before. The, the, the huge value of this movie is putting Arnold Schwarzenegger against Richard Dawson. And the genius of it is that, as villains go, Richard Dawson is actually more dangerous than the mm. Predator. Yeah. <laughs> he's, mm. yes. he's got more That's going true. for him. That's he true. knows he, he gets the better of Arnold for like three quarters of this movie (laughs) and even when Arnold is winning out on the game course there's really no question but that Killian still owns 
the table. Right. He's, you know, this is a setback. It's not a win. You know, it's yeah. not really a win for Arnold until he shows up back at the studio. Killian has still managed to save, you know, everything that's important to him. He doesn't really care that he's lost all his steroid boys. You know, that's just, you know, the cost of doing business. And, you know, really, the the one scene that was kind of missing for me out of this is like three quarters of the way when Arnold is continually dispatching the stalkers and the public opinion is starting to change. I was, you know, there's this great moment when Killian's on the phone to the Justice Department or whoever saying, yeah, Stalker died. Well, it was going to happen. <laughs> you know, this is great television. It's a contact sport. And, yes. and, contact and, sport. Um, you know, I was kind of, and then at the end when he makes the big plea for his life, like, dude, it's TV. This is what we do. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, why, why are you mad? He doesn't understand. Doesn't everybody want to be a reality <laughs> murdering star? Yeah. <laughs> You know, why didn't you take the deal to be my new stalker? What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> that that lifts it to something approaching genius. The only part that's missing is, you know, there should have been some sort of interstitial scene in there somewhere where Killian is shaking his head after Arnold says no and trying to reason out why in the world he said no and how do I get this guy on my team? Mm. Yeah. Because mm. that's what Killian would do. That's what I loved about it. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Choreography by Paula Abdul. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which again... That, that then boosts it up a little bit higher. <laughs> and again, no one saw that coming and no. then suddenly years later on Deal or No Deal, it's the parade of hot girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. People... The, People looked at this and they're like, holy shit, we can work with this. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the aftermath of the movie Rollerball, which was another condemnation of violent sports and people getting sort of charged up and excited about blood sport. And there's, there's always these people who miss the point of it uh-huh. and want to start their own roll, rollerball league. <laughs> and it's well, like, you, you know what the classic example of that is? The, when Carol O'Connor was on All in the Family... And, oh yes, and it was a huge hit. I, and then the first couple of years when that show was I've a ratings met people, monster, I've met people who identified themselves as Archie Bunkers before. There was Archie Bunker for president bumper yes. stickers. There were posters about you know Meathead and Stifle Yourself, and everybody loved Archie Bunker. And Norman Lear's like, no, that's not. What we're doing? Yes. <laughs> He's not aspirational. This is that, that's not... what we like to call misdirected fandom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, Greg Hatcher, I want to thank you again, Greg. Of course, if folks want to find your writing on comic book resources, where should they look? Well, the easiest way is to just Google my name and the word comics. Um, comics should be good is part of the uh, comic book resources website the web address is cbr.cc and you can find the comic should be good blog on the front page there um, front page man yeah well i'm not front page <laughs> I'm, I'm way back in the entertainment section no. but uh, but um there are also books coming out the uh, oh, yes. i do a lot of uh, writing for uh, airship 27 which is a company that puts out what they call new pulp adventure fiction the latest of which is uh, black bat mystery volume three that's coming out sometime in the next month and we've also got a book going that i'm really proud to be a part of it's called new pulp legends and it's a benefit anthology for tommy hancock who's had He's one of the big guys in the, the what they call the New Pulp Movement. He runs Pro Se Press, which has put out a lot of really cool anthologies like Black Pulp featuring African-American protagonists and Asian Pulp that just came out, same thing. He's uh, he's had some serious medical issues over the last few months, and so my editor, Ron, is putting together this benefit book for him called New Pulp Legends, and everybody's donating their work. It's going to be over a 1,000 pages. It should be out in about a month. Wow, very wow. cool. So, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So definitely check that out. Yeah. Greg Hatcher, thank you again, sir. You're very welcome. So thank you, folks. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll catch you in another three months. Yeah. Take it easy. Podcast La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington and edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, 
James Wetzel, Paul Rue, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. to you, pal. <laughs> you got the whole network here in an uproar. Why, they're shipping bicarb to the Justice Department in crates. So that's why this little call is just between you and I. It's not going on on the air. Listen very carefully, man. How would you like a three-year contract guarantee, a cadre credit line, and a beachfront condo? Sound impossible? Ben is a standard deal for a network stalker. And I know real talent when I see it, Ben. And I just hate to see you get canceled tonight when you could go the distance. Say the word, Ben, and you can be the one doing the stalking. What do you think? You cold bladder bastard. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract. But I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Ah!